Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Going to have Sage do our little, uh, do our scripture reading for us, and then we'll get into our lesson. John 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded, recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Thank you, Sage. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. We're going to be talking about the story of where Jesus is at the wedding and turns the water into wine. Now, I want you to understand how much that is. So, there is a reason for these cans behind me. You're going to see when we read the story that this is how much... 30 gallons a piece times six, you do the math, that's how much wine that Jesus turned from water into wine. I mean, this is not a bottle. Got it? This is a lot of wine. And uh, uh, we go to no expense for props at my sermon time. And by that I mean no expense because they're still looking for them at the cafe uh, Ryan, I'm sorry, I'll get them back to you after this thing's over. Um, and so we put some little ones out there, and I hope they do help out on the trash. Uh, I started just to bring a bottle of wine, but Tommy wouldn't let me borrow his. And Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tommy. Uh, medicinal reasons only, I'm, I'm sure. And no, there's nothing in this, so some of you who are getting excited, there is no... Water and there is no wine in there. They're empty. So I want to just read this story. I want you to get an idea of, of something. Uh, I thank you, Sage, for reading for us, reminding us the reason the book was written. These signs that are being done by Jesus, and this is the first one. By the way, in the, in the text, when it says miraculous sign, actually in the original Greek, the word miraculous is not there. It's just the word sign. There are signs. They point to something. Now, they're miraculous, but it's a sign. And there's going to be several of them through the book. And they're, they're written. They're, John writes these signs down. Uh, John 20 says, So that people will see who Jesus is, and by believing in Him, have eternal life. That's the whole purpose. Don't lose the purpose of the book and why it was written, okay? All right, so let's just do a little bit of reading and talking through this text. On the third day, a wedding took place. Actually, this is another word that's a little bit different uh, in the original. It's actually a marriage took place. You know, we kind of use those words different, but it's a marriage took place. In Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. By the way, he didn't ask, her, ask him to do anything. You notice that? She just kind of implied it by how she spoke. Moms have a way of doing that. You understand what I'm saying? They walk through a room and they say, somebody stuffs in the floor over here. Now, that doesn't mean you just, she recognized it. That meant somebody better get over and pick it up, right? Moms have that way of communicating to their sons. They have no wine. Now, dear, dear woman, why do you involve me? 
By the word, this word woman, it's not a cut. It's not like woman, get my tea. It's not like that, okay? This is an endearing deal. Matter of fact, that's what he said from the cross. It's the same word when he said, a woman, behold your son. It's that, it's that endearing thing. My time is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, I like this because of the trust that she doesn't know what he's going to do, but she knows he'll do the right thing. And so she just trusts him in this. Got it? Do whatever uh, he tells you. Boy, well, that would be a great... We could just go preaching on that about us doing whatever he tells us, couldn't we? If we wanted to. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they fill them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. There's another whole sermon about how Jesus saves the best till later, by the way. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory And his disciples put their faith in him. I want us just to kind of talk back through this story and look at the significance. I mean, why is this, why is this recorded? You got great miracles like blind men seeing again and the lame walking and people are raised from the dead, but here's one about water's turned to wine, okay? Now, you gotta understand, the weddings were different. In the Jewish age uh, back then than they are uh, now or even when I got married. When I got married, it looked like this. Let's put up that slide. There, that's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's clapping for me. Not for Susan. Uh, but uh, uh, Bill Smith t- tied the, the knot. By the way, David mentioned premarital counseling. I'm glad you remembered something I said. That's good. And... Uh, so I remember everything Margaret said during premarital counseling. Uh, not necessarily Bill, but you know. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then we were leaving, and by the way, you notice the great decorations. We had candles. Uh, and we were going out, and so, you know, weddings were different. We just had punch and cake. We actually did have a groom's, groom's cake. It was, it was a German chocolate, which I never got to see or eat out of it. But we had one. Somebody told me we had one. But it was very, very simple wedding type thing. My mom brought, she cooked all the food for the uh, rehearsal deal and put it in her car and drove it down from Arkansas and warmed up the ham and put the vegetables out. And that was it. You know, what? it's what you had. That's what we did. It's a little different nowadays. But when I left, I mean, I look like I'm prepared, right? I mean, I'm dressed for the occasion. I mean, you know, uh, uh, and so I am, I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm 20 years old and I've got the world by the, you know, to tell I'm ready to roll. Only thing is, I never really traveled anywhere. So we go to Shreveport and I didn't know about this thing you do when you get a hotel room. This thing called reservations. I didn't know you did that. I'd never gotten a hotel room. I don't, the only time I'd ever been in one is like when our ball team went somewhere and played or something. Somebody else took care of all that. So 
I, I get there, I pull up at the hotel, and I go in, and the lady says, you have a reservation? I said, I, I, no, I didn't know I needed one. And she said, well, there's no vacancies. And I said, no vacancies? No room at the end? I thought, wait a minute, I'm not spending my honeymoon in my car. You know, so... It bothered me because I did, I went down, I did find one at the Chateau, which was really nice, and I spent more money than I planned. Uh, then we did get a room. And only to get up the next morning and drive to Gladewater, Texas, where we were with Scott Caldwell in another wedding, which he had been in mine the night before the, uh, so then we go to, of all places, we go off to a great, great romantic place called Six Flags. Now, little did I know that I would become a youth minister and go there for the next 15 years in a row. So, I, I mean, needless to say, it's lost its appeal. I'm just saying. So, so weddings are different. The, back then, in the, uh, uh, you can, you can, please, you can take that down. Uh, back then, and now, who pays for the wedding? You can say that loud. Who pays? All your dads are like, oh, oh, I mean, the bride's family. And all you people who have sons are like, yes, the bride's family. Well, back then, it was the opposite. See, the bridegroom, matter of fact, when Jesus uses a parable about the kingdom of heaven, is like a, a king who plans a, a wedding party for his son. You know, he didn't say his daughter, he says his son. They understood that in the Jewish deal. Got it? Because that's what they did. And so the bridegroom had all these festivals. And so what they did, a wedding lasted a long time. So they actually they would sign a, a, an agreement way ahead of time. You had the betrothal time. You could even, you could even legally bound, could even get a divorce even though you hadn't been married particularly yet. And so then they would go to the bride's house. There they would consummate the marriage. Then they would parade through the streets at night with torches, with a canopy. And, and all the people of the community would come out and celebrate a parade to the groom's place. And then they would have like a seven-day party, a festival for this wedding. And all the community and friends and family would all come and would eat and drink and have a great time of being together. So this was a big thing. So some of you want to kind of restore that aspect of it, just go right ahead. But they, uh, that, that was totally done different. So when they gather up here for this wedding, and Jesus had been invited to it, so it's either family or friends, it's somebody close to them. And his mom's involved in the preparations, it seems like. And so they're there. And so all of a sudden, can you imagine you're all sitting over here at a reception? You've got your tables out. People are sitting out there waiting on your food. And you come up. There's seven tables that haven't been served. And you look in the kitchen and there's zero food left. I mean, none. I mean, what do you do? Start taking half-eaten plates off? and you know, you, you, I'm sorry, you got to share tonight. I mean, well, I don't know how you fix that. But all of a sudden, this is the situation. The wine is gone. The wine was just a staple, just like bread was on the table. It's always there. It's always there. And by the way, yeah, yeah, and somebody said, is it fermented? Yes, it's fermented. Not very much, but it's fermented back in those days. And look, this, this story is not written to tell you you could drink or not drink. So don't get all excited on one side of that or the other, okay? I understand. My my religious background, we would have been much happier if he had turned wine into water. I get it. Doctrinally, that would have helped me. But he did. So they go to this wedding, and all of a sudden, they're out of wine. 
Now, Jesus doesn't make any kind of big scene. He doesn't do any kind, he doesn't show him touching the jars. It doesn't talk about him doing, it doesn't do any of that. He just tells them to fill it. They do what they're told. And when it's served, it's the best wine ever. And a whole lot of it. Now, so let's kind of go walk back through this text and just kind of pull out some significant things in it. One, one, by the way, they had a rabbinic saying, the rabbi said, where there's no wine, there's no joy. Your wine all the way through the Bible is mentioned as having special meaning, whether it's covenants or whether it's the blood or whether it's a celebration, all those things. And I believe you me, when Jesus said wine, he knew some other things about wine later on that he was going to talk about being the, his blood, right? And so when this situation happens, he says that my hour has not yet come. Now, I want to just read a few passages about that phrase real quickly. First, in John chapter 7, in verse 6, they're telling Jesus right before this, if you want to be a public figure and make an impact, you ought to get out there and do your miracles where everybody can see them. And Jesus' response to this is, Jesus told him, verse 6, the right time for me has not yet come. Now, for you, any time is okay. But my time has not yet come. Then in verse 30 of chapter 7, when they're trying to seize him, at this time they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And then in chapter 8, verse 20, you have the same phrase. His hour or his time has not yet come. But then all of a sudden, in chapter 12... You see him say, my time has come. My hour is here now. Why? Because he's all of a sudden, he's here and he's headed to the cross. Jesus' direction and what he had to accomplish was never far from his mind in any of his communication. Matter of fact, he's weaving this throughout the life, of, even with his mom. Remember early on, she knows something special. Uh, right, born of a virgin, the angels are there. She's had that message. Later on, when he's 12 years old, uh, he's at the temple. They can't find him. They run. Where are you? And they're they're shocked about it. Jesus says, "I have to be about what? My father's business. I've got there." He has this idea. There's something else I'm here for. And then all of a sudden, now, even though his time's not come, it's always on his mind. He never is distracted by what's happening around him that he loses or gets off course of where he's headed to the cross and to the grave. And then in chapter 13, verse 1, it was time for the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And then in that great prayer in John 17, Father, the time has come, glorify your Son. That your son may glorify you. Jesus' purpose for coming, God in the flesh, to save men from their sins, is going to be weaved throughout all of his conversations that he has through these signs and things that he does to show people who he is. Now, the next thing in this thing that was kind of interesting to me 
was what what did he choose to use to to turn uh, to put the, all this water in that he's going to turn to wine? Now he didn't use trash cans, but I didn't have I didn't have any old Jewish jars of water, so I may do. But they, he used these jars. Now these jars are explained here very clearly. They are jars that the uh, people used to do their ceremonial cleansing and purifying. They washed their utensils in this. They washed their hands in it. They washed themselves. Because this is what they did as a part of their religion. They practiced this tradition of ceremonial cleansing. Now, it didn't make anybody clean. But they were sure into the practice of it. And it's interesting to me that Jesus takes something that they have used for tradition in their religion that really is empty of meaning... And he adds meaning to it because he's going to really tell them that your life later on, these Pharisees, your life is empty and all this outside cleansing is not doing any good. You're going to have to be cleansed from the inside out. Transformation, just like the water and the wine is going to take place on the inside, not the outside of your life. Now, I tell you what, if you're used to somehow or another thinking that my number of attendances to churches, the number of Lord's suppers I take, and that I do everything right in my religious organization, somehow or another that makes me clean, I've got news for you. All those things added up will not make you clean or clear your heart or your conscience. Matter of fact, let's just peek over to Hebrews chapter 9. Real quick, because in chapter 9, verse 9, he says the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able, look at this, not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. He says they can't do it. These sacrifices and this religious activity that you're doing, they cannot clean the conscience of the worshiper. If your conscience is heavy, if you're guilty, if there's shame inside you, religious activity will not take care of that. Your religious tradition will not take care of that. And practicing whatever you think on the outside that is right will not take care of that. What has to take care of that is a transformation that comes to the one they call Jesus Christ. He's in the business of transforming people. Amen. So Jesus takes these old jars that they've used. You know, some of us are still moving from jar to jar with our practice, thinking somehow or another it does something. Jesus takes these jars of religious tradition, ceremonial washings, and it works this marvelous sign. Now, signs have a purpose. Signs point to something. And he already tells us, we read in the verse that Sage read for us, the signs that were written down, the one John chose to write down, these signs are pointing to Jesus as the Son of God. And they're done to cause people to believe. Well... This bridegroom and his family. What an embarrassing moment. What a moment of humiliation. 
to be there at this great ceremony, great time and event in life, a time of joy, a time of festival, a time of happiness. Everybody's involved. And look, Jesus is involved in it too. He's enjoying the festival of the wedding just like everybody else. You know, uh, sometimes we get this picture of Jesus like he's walking around with long robes with a sober look on his face, never participating in human activity, you know. No, he's just right there interacting with everybody, having a good time. But what I love about this picture of Jesus in here is that this transformation of water into wine does something. It, it shows who he is, that he's God. By the way, the, the chapter before said, remember, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, the Word was God. Remember that? And everything that had been made had been made by the Word. Jesus Christ. So Jesus takes the water, which, by the way, he created, and turns it into wine. It's not like it was a difficult thing for him. Now, there are a lot of people who love to try to explain away miracles. I, I read recently a story where a guy said, told, was talking to another guy and said, Oh, I can explain that miracle. You know about Jesus walking on the water? He said, All that was, said that really people couldn't see. It was dark that night and they were close to the shore and Jesus, he walked. It was real shallow. I mean, it just looked like he was walking on water to those guys that were in the boat. I said, Oh, yeah. And so the guy answered him and said, Well, really? He said, Oh, yeah. I said, It wasn't walking much water. Okay. So those, how many guys were in the boat? Twelve. Uh, and, and, and how big do you think that boat was? Oh, it was about 1,500 pounds or whatever, you know, weighed a lot. And so, so uh, 12 guys in a boat. And how, how deep do you think that water was Jesus was walking? Oh, he said just a few inches, four or five inches. He said, you've created a greater miracle than the one Jesus did. You've got a boat of 12 men floating in four inches of water. The creator of the universe, God in the flesh, had no problem creating, turning water into wine and a lot of other transformations that are going to take place in people's lives. I love it because he cared about the humiliation of the family. This is his grace. Do you remember back in verse 14 of chapter 1? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only. Who came from the Father. And it says, remember that last phrase? He was full of what? Grace and truth. And we've mentioned that this is what He's going to be doing, is practicing grace and truth. So what happens in this story? Jesus reveals the truth of who He is. And He practices grace to save the humiliation of the family He's celebrating with. There he is once again. Grace and truth. And you know what the response of the banquet guy was? See, he didn't, he didn't get it. His response was, Hey, this guy, you saved the best of last. That's great, you know. That's all. His, his was just about the moment of the wine. But the response of the disciples, if you'll see the last verse there, that as a response to the disciples was they put their faith, one version says, or they deeply believed in him. It deepened their belief in who he was. They just made it the chapter before. It deepened their belief that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. This is what a sign is for. To cause people to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now just like always, when Jesus 
was sharing who he was and what he was doing. You always had people, you had a group that didn't believe. Like some of the Pharisees didn't believe him, who he was. You tried to discredit him. You have people who believe and put their faith in him, followed him. Then you have people who believe but didn't make a move on it. In this story, Jesus took a regular occasion, that he, an activity, human activity that's going on that he's a part of to show who he was, to practice grace toward those he was around, and to deepen the faith of those who followed him. And that should be our goal when we participate in every activities of our lives. To be like Jesus. We want to show people who he is by what he's done. We want to show them the grace that he has for them to save them from their humiliation. He saved us from ours. And we want them to deepen their belief in him as the Messiah. And if those things can happen when we study the Bible and share with somebody, we're on the same track as Jesus. Got it? So it's more than just a small matter of turning water into wine. It's much more about showing his incarnation, his power for transformation, and his desire to alleviate the humiliation of people who are in his presence. That's the grace and truth of Jesus. So the question is, is that the kind of person you want to have a relationship with? He can save you. Not from just an event, not from just being humbled at something that happens here on earth, but he can save you from your sins. And he has the power to transform your heart and your mind because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Weddings, they're exciting. They're exciting as people look forward to a future that's different than their past. They're exciting because commitments have been made. And a time of adventure is ahead of people. And the church is called the what? Bride of Christ. And he's the bridegroom. And the adventure that it is to follow Jesus and forget about your past and to move on with a commitment and determination for the future is something you'll never regret becoming part of. If you want to make that great change, the change from the inside out, you can be baptized into Christ. It ain't the water, just like it's not the water in the jars. It's not the water in the baptistry. But baptism is something that happens on the inside because you are experiencing the grace of God when you reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so it's a cleansing from the inside out and a transformation takes place. It's a new birth. Matter of fact, in the next chapter, he's going to tell a guy, you got to be born of the water and the spirit. This thing has to happen from the inside out. If you want to be a part of that, that's what you get to do when a person responds and says, I don't want to live the life I've lived anymore. 
I want to repent of my sins and be baptized in Christ and start all over. Can it really be that simple? It can be that simple because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So won't you get in on that and be a part of a family that's on a journey and it's an adventure as we deepen our belief, learning who Jesus is and following him till he comes again. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the day. I pray, Father, that I would, I would be open to your word and learning and following who Jesus is more and more. I thank you for our church and so many here that are encouragement to me by the transformation you're bringing about in their lives. And as a community of believers, Father, we want to get this good news out of who Jesus is and how his fullness of truth and grace changes who we are. Bless us, Father, in our efforts. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, if you have a need to come, please do so while we stand and sing.